It is the Colby Daniels Podcast. It is Wednesday, which means Aaron Davis is my guest. Uh, Aaron, tomorrow night is the NBA draft. There's going to be another draft night at Chalk and Chisholm Creek. You were next to me for the NFL draft party that we did at Chalk. The atmosphere was incredible. I can't imagine what it's going to be like with the Oklahoma City Thunder, the hometown team possessing three first-round picks. This is going to be an awesome party. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, chalk, obviously, great food. Um, I, the last time that we went there for the NFL draft was the first time I went there. And uh, being a you know someone that eats vegan, great, great uh, vegan Impossible Burger. Uh, I've been drooling over it for what, a couple of <laughs> months now, so... I'm excited to you know have an excuse to go back there and yeah. uh, get some good food. But do you do you think that people are even in this market? Do you think people are more excited for the NBA draft than the NFL draft? Like how many people going into the NBA draft actually know more than like five of the prospects? Very few. That's a that's a I tough think si- I think a lot of fans know the elite guys, but beyond that. Because college basketball and look, half these guys are either international players or like the Jalen Greens and the Jonathan Kamingas of this draft. Nobody's really seen play basketball before, whereas the majority of the first round picks are guys that we watched play college football. We watched play in big games. We watched play at major universities for multiple years, for multiple years. Exactly. So there are some guys that are the one hit wonders in college football. There are some guys that play at a small school like Buffalo or something like that where maybe you didn't see much of them. Trey Lance at North Dakota State. But 90% of the first-round picks are guys that played at big universities for multiple seasons. And most, you know, I, I'm just throwing around the word casual fans, uh, probably had more than one or two opportunities to see those guys play along the way. Whereas with this thing, I mean, you probably saw Cade Cunningham play. You probably saw Jalen Suggs play in the NCAA tournament. Same thing with Evan Mobley. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I, I you know, if unless it's like one of the guys that's uh, from Baylor that, that maybe played in the conference, there's just not a lot of guys in this first round that I think the majority of fans have seen play. Yeah. Do you think it's always been that way? Or you think it's just kind of, like you think it's kind of a results of college basketball just having so many teams and so many players that play one year do you think you think that's a a newer thing where these prospects going in like the towards the even the end of the lottery really are not that well known because I, I just I'm trying to think back like 10 or 15 years like 15 years ago would a 15 year old me have been familiar with you know the first 20 guys taken in yeah. the draft I, I maybe I don't really remember but I know today, like I'm not, I I'm not super familiar with guys like Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson, both the Tennessee players, yeah. but even like Trey Murphy out of Virginia or like Chris Duarte out of Oregon, like these aren't guys that I'm super familiar with going into this draft. I mean, I've read about them and I've watched a little bit of tape on some of them, but yeah, outside of that, like it's not. I don't know. Like, I'm just curious. Well, I think it's like, safe to say you and I are both in this this group. We watch far less college basketball today than we did 15 years ago mm-hmm. because the product isn't as good. Right. And and because you have the one and dones and the landscape of college basketball changes so drastically and the importance of the regular season versus the ultimate one and done postseason, like 
you know, we've broken down the sport of college basketball so many times together, but yeah, it's just, it's not a product that I regularly consume anymore. And there was a point where I, I mean, college basketball was right at the top of my list of sports. I I was going to be glued to, and it's just no longer that way. And, you know, you look at this draft and like I said, you start looking at the, the top 10, how many of those guys outside of the NCAA tournament did anybody watch? Yeah. How I mean, many of those guys did it played college basketball at a high level for more than a year? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at mock drafts, you like, you have one or two sophomores in the top, like 12. Yeah. All the other ones are either, I mean, obviously you have the couple of the two G league guys, but they would still be considered freshmen going into this draft yeah. of, like, of one year of experience outside of high school. But yeah, it's, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this so much about college basketball and the one and done and how to fix it. But I know it's just an interesting uh, thing I was thinking about because even in NBA markets, I wonder if the NFL – I mean, the NFL draft still has to be a little bit more enticing to general masses. But, hey, I mean, if you're a Thunder fan tonight or tomorrow night, excuse me, like this still has to be super exciting because there's still trades up in the air. Yeah. Out of the Shea thing, I don't really buy into that rumor. I mean, we talked about it last week. I think that would be a stupid move by Presti and the Thunder to tr- trade Shea right now. But if the rumors are true and they're really throwing them out there, then who knows? I mean, it's very possible they still move up, even if it's – I don't know about one. Well, obviously, it's not going to be one unless they you know, ante up even more, which would be crazy. But – they still could move up to two or three or four, and like there still could be some movement. And they, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. And yeah, like you said, they've got three first round picks. So if they can hit on one of those dudes, it's a it's a home run. I've draft. I've thought a lot about this this SGA trade situation and the rumors and all that. And and look, I, I I'm not going to pretend to have any idea what's true and what's not. Um, I I would say based on history, Sam Presti rarely lets any information get out as far as his dealings. So, again, right. take we, that for what it's worth. But when Paul George came here, we literally had no idea yeah. that that was even a possibility. Yeah. Um, the only time I ever remember there being rumors about something going down was when Serge Ibaka was traded. Yeah, but, the, I mean, the team had already crumbled by that point, so it was kind of... You know what I mean? So like that makes sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like there there were rumors that Serge Ibaka was going to be traded like days before it happened, and then like the thing was, well, he's not. Sam Presti's not going to trade him. These are just rumors, and Sam Presti never lets rumors get out. And then he gets traded. I was like, holy cow, it actually happened. But yeah, it just doesn't happen very often. But look, I I would just say this that there there are people that that are even debating whether or not SGA is available to be traded and. I don't think there's anybody on this roster that's unavailable. For the right price, I think every single player on the Thunder's roster is available. Now, again, that said, um, you know, they're in rebuild mode, and you have to kind of look at this from a couple different angles. But as far as the rumor of potentially trading Shea for anything, and, and, you know, the rumor is the number one pick, here's my rule with this. Do I Look, we all agree that Shea is a terrific player. Right, We all agree that, as it stands, he's the guy you're building around. We all agree that he's probably a top, 
I don't know what the safe number to say would be. Like top 50 player in the NBA? I mean, I would probably say a little higher. I'd probably say 30, 35-ish, 30. 35-ish. I I think he has potential to be a top 10 player in five years. But yeah, yeah, I would say comfortably top 35-ish right now. I think we would all agree he has all-star potential. For sure. Um, You know, I wasn't in the group that thought he should have been an all-star last year, but he had all-star caliber numbers. And, you know, a lot of that was because of the inflated numbers across the board in the NBA. But, uh, look, everybody agrees that Shea's a really good player with a lot of upside. So my rule is, the only way you're trading a player like that is if you're getting a younger player with even more upside. So it has to be both. The guy has to be younger, and the guy has to have more upside. And... I do believe that Cade Cunningham has more upside than Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Now, there are those people that say, we don't know what Cade's going to be in the NBA, and maybe he's a bust, and that's true. Cade could come to the NBA and completely be a bust. Maybe Cade's never as good as SGA is. Like, he could you know, he could come and just be an average player his whole, whole career. Maybe he never reaches the level that SGA's at now. But if you are a small market team that is never going to make your living in the NBA through free agency and you have to hit on draft picks. And once again, we kind of talk about that clock, Aaron, of guys potentially being able to sign that first extension. But if they're really MVP caliber type players, you know, unless you're the the rare Giannis type player that's going to stick around, who knows what it's going to look like eight years down the road. For me, I think it's worth the gamble to go for a younger player with higher upside. And I do th- I think Cade's upside is top five player in the league. I don't think SGA is top five player in the league. Like, I think he's all-star caliber. But, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on SGA being one of the best five players in the NBA in five years. Whereas with Cade, like, that wouldn't surprise me. And, and look, everybody's going to have a different opinion on this, but... I think the rule is if you have a guy like SGA and you're a small market team, the only way you're trading him is for somebody that has more upside that's younger. Yeah, I'm definitely in the camp opposite of you. I think that trading Shea right now would be short-sighted and dumb. Look, I'm not saying don't trade Shea at any point. I'm just saying that trading him tomorrow night to move up to one or two in this draft for me would be a short-sighted move. I think that right now the smarter move would be to try and move up to four. Get trade. We talked about it last week. Trade Kimba and six and try and move up to four. Or maybe you can work out something with Cleveland, whatever. Try and use Kimba and move up a couple spots. Because the difference between a guy like Jalen Suggs and uh, you know, most of the mock drafts I've seen have like James Booknight or Jonathan Kaminga going six. Yeah, there's a big difference in, to me between Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley, and the guys that are going to be there at six. Agreed, 100% so, agree. I think you're. I think it would be completely satisfactory to move up to four and take the last because I mean, what are we talk. This really is well like a the four player draft, and then it's everybody else. I would say. I agree with that. Maybe the drop isn't huge yeah. from four to five, but like it's, those four guys, nobody's bumping into those four spots out of Cunningham, Green, Mobley, and Sugg. So get the last one that's available at four. Keep Shea. And guess what? If you spend this entire year and he's just like, you know what? I 
I don't want to play here. Like, I know you guys can match an offer sheet and keep me around for a few more years, but I'm just going to force a trade. Like, I don't want to be here. Then trade them next year because guess what? There's going to be a guy in the draft next year that that, that front office in Oklahoma City is going to love. Who, who knows? They might just it, it naturally end up with the first pick in the draft next year, and then it's not even an issue. And then you can just build on top of that by trading Shea. But Shea's value and outside of like a major injury isn't going to diminish any from tomorrow to you know June 28th or whatever the draft is in 2022. Just hold on to him for another year. There's no reason in my in my mind to trade him tomorrow when he's going to be he still has another year on his contract and then he's a restricted free agent. You have control of him for years. You can wait a couple years and trade him. You're still going to be bad. There's still there's going to be a draft there's drafts every year and every year there are guys that have the potential to be complete difference makers for franchises at the top of the draft. They don't always work out obviously. Sometimes you get an Anthony Bennett, but Yeah. But there, there are also there are also guys in drafts that you view as generational type players. Sure, and Cade Cunningham might be that. And I think and like when you look at Cade's size, athleticism, skill set, like the overall package, the guy's six eight. He's a point guard. He can shoot. He handles the ball. He pat like he does everything in a power forward body. Sure. I, 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 for me, when I look at the draft over the last five years, like Cade's on the short list of guys going into the draft that I feel like is a generational player. You don't want to miss this guy. He's Ben Simmons, but a good basketball player. Yes. So, <laughs> like, I, I get it. I get the, like, enticing, like, draw to Cade Cunningham, but, I mean, you're probably not getting Cade. You, Detroit's, if, if the rumors are true, they've already turned down a, like, what was it, the six and Cade? Yes, or for SGA, one. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Cad, SGA in the first for, yeah. for basically Cade. I would assume that Oklahoma City is not giving up all that to go up there and take Evan Mobley at number one. Like, No, it would be for Cade. It would be Cade, right. Keep I the, mean, we, we, the, we agreed, like, if you're Detroit, if you're Houston, if you're Oklahoma City, like, all these teams are in the same boat. They all need that generational player to start building right. around, so... You know, we talked about this when the lottery happened and this idea that the Thunder could trade all these picks to move into the first spot. And I think you made the analogy, if you're homeless and you win a house, why the hell would you trade your house for more lottery tickets to hopefully win the lottery and and get another house? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So, like, there are people saying, even with that scenario, if you're Detroit, like, Detroit's a bunch of idiots for turning that down. Well, are they? Really? I don't know. Oh, I don't think they're stupid for turning it down at all. I mean, it, I again, think- this is all... There are a lot of people that are like, there's no way that's true, and that's fine. Like, I'm not saying it is true. We're just talking about the hypothetical, if the rumor's true. I'm in the camp. I don't think that's necessarily stupid. No. Well, because... Look, and I, I don't think it's dumb for Detroit to turn down that trade. I think it would be dumb for Oklahoma City to offer that trade because, like I said, you still have Cade... For I mean, you can have him for years, for the next four or five years, SGA. and trade him then in his uh, SGA. Why <laughs> um, I'm like in my head, I'm picturing yeah, K, yeah. and uh, but so you still have control. It, Oklahoma City has so much leverage over the next like five drafts. Because, excuse me, because of all of the draft picks they have, they just have so much leverage going into these drafts. And, you know, if Pressy's out there making good moves where he's bringing in veteran guys like Kimball Walker, like bringing in Kimball Walker is such an like intelligent move to bring in this 
veteran guard who is an established player in the NBA that can be a difference maker on a team that's one piece away. Like Kimba going to a team like the Lakers could be a difference maker. And yeah. teams and they'll pay for him. And guess what? The Lakers in three years, they're probably gonna suck. So to be able to have Kimball Walker and potentially get like a first round pick in 2025 or 26 from the Lakers, like you're just going to continue to build your leverage in these drafts. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that you need to jump the gun on the very first one in giving up an established player like SGA and draft picks. Like just, you're not close yet. I think when you start getting close, that's when you start really firing these bullets to, you know, make some impact trades and, and make moves. Now, I think getting Cade would be a huge win for Oklahoma City. Yeah. Obviously, like he's gonna—he's a good player already, and he could be an amazing player, great player. But I just—I I don't think that you need to do it just yet. Even as good as Cade is, you don't need to, you know, show all your cards on the very first draft. So, well, I, and, I think and you that, hit on something that that also has to be considered with all these moves. They're not close. You're right. They're not close. So, like again, that—that's one more reason for me to say. Go for it. Like, you're, you're bringing in a rookie. If you bring in Cade, you're not expected to win this year or probably next year anyway. So, Cade comes in, is able to develop at a normal pace without saying, hey, you got to turn this thing around right now. I don't know. I, I, I think if, again, if it's a younger player with more upside, I'm making the deal. But, to your point... There's no rush to get a deal done if you don't view Cade as generational or the other team doesn't want to do it because you're in a really good position with SGA if you don't pull the trigger. This, I mean, and look, Presti's put Oklahoma City in an interesting position because they're one of the three worst teams in the NBA. Well, I'll say five. They're one of the five worst. I'll give them some benefit of the doubt that, you know, if they would have actually played all of their best players last year, they wouldn't have finished as terrible as they would have. They're one of the five worst teams in the NBA right now. But... There's like there's no sense of urgency because they've got so many opportunities to get this right over the next five to six years that I mean if they if they miss on these picks tonight or tomorrow night, excuse me, like that sucks, but you know next year you're gonna have ample opportunity and that he's aggressive in the trade market. And I mean, I if I'm Kate Cunningham or just a fan of these two teams, I am I would a hundred times out of a hundred, rather go, rather go play for the Oklahoma City Thunder than play for the Detroit Pistons because Absolutely. I look at the Detroit Pistons right now and I don't know where they're going to produce like a winning formula from. Like I don't, I don't know that that front office can put a team together that can win. Like I look at their roster right now and I think they're significantly worse than the roster the Thunder have, and I don't think the Thunder have a good roster at all. But I just like Detroit Agreed. paying Jeremy Grant all that money to go in there. And Jeremy Grant was good last year. Uh, and obviously Jeremy went there because he wanted to be the guy on a team and he was, but I mean, you're putting a roster out there that's not, you know, really, I guess, inviting yeah. a lot of hope for the future and getting Cade will help. But I don't, I don't think that Detroit can put a winning team together in the first five years of Cade's career, Oklahoma city, maybe, but yeah, I mean, if I'm Cade, yeah. I'm praying that Detroit trades out of that first pick. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I do want, You mentioned you're going to have plenty of opportunities. You're going to have the chance to have plenty of opportunities. But again, like we talked about when the lottery came around, 
like having all these future picks doesn't necessarily mean they land where you want them to land. No, you could, yeah. I mean, you know, these lottery picks could end up in the in the bottom, you know, 10 to 14 potentially. I mean, it's not a guarantee that you're in this position. So I don't think you can just sit back. Like, I don't think the mentality can be sit back and let's just hope that things go our way next year. If If the right deal is there, I think you pull the trigger now. And then you you approach next year for what it is. I don't think you can just say, like, we're going to be in a good position in the next lottery no matter what. Would you give up Shea and the three first-round picks tomorrow night for the number one pick? I would seriously consider it. I mean, the chance of you hitting on, what was it, 14 and – or 16 16 and 18? 18. Highly – I would say highly unlikely, but very unlikely that those are going to be, like – guys that completely shift the future of your organization. Yeah. Like best case scenario, you get a guy like Serge Ibaka in those spots. That's a good role player that, you know, plays an important role on your team, but that's best case scenario. Really? I yeah. mean, chance of you hitting on like a Giannis and that, that area are slim because, you know, obviously there's only been a few guys out of the middle of the draft that have, you know, turned into MVP caliber players. Yeah. But yeah, so those those 16 and 18 are completely expendable to me, especially where Oklahoma City is at right now. I mean, if they were, you know, five years ago, I don't think that those picks are necessarily expendable because you need role players to fill in the rest of the team. But right now, yeah, I mean, you need you need a guy. You need to you need to get that Kevin Durant piece to you know set the future of your team. So yeah. I mean, if if the difference is just adding those two picks, like it, that doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, as far as, you know, that being like, I'm not going to sit here and say that yeah. Shay and the six pick is okay, but adding 16 and 18, that's too much. Well, the reason I say that is because I, I think if you still have those and you're able to, to potentially parlay those and a future first or a couple future firsts into a second lottery pick, that, that would well, be yeah. massive. Uh, yeah, absolutely, but, if you can do that. And you can get, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if if you're not able to do that and you're just holding on to the picks for the position they're in, then, yeah, I mean, I, then your point, I think, is valid. Like, it, it doesn't make a lot of difference in terms of what you're giving up. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe you can... I mean, basically, well, all this comes down to your scouting department, right? And what you think of Cade Cunningham. If you think he's generational... Like, if they're having those meetings and they say, this is a generational player, then I think you do that deal. But if you think he's just, you know, if you think he's SGA level where he's just like future all-star, but you don't see him being like a future MVP, then you absolutely don't do the deal. So, I mean, that, that, it just kind of comes down to what they think of him. I do believe that Cade has future MVP potential. And I think, look, I mean, Oklahoma City scouting department, there's no reason for us not to trust them. I mean, they're... I mean, look at guys like Lou Dort and um, I don't want to say I don't want to put Poco in that uh, in that category yet. But like Lou Dort, let's use Lou Dort as an example, like completely like out of nowhere, like nobody expected him to be as good as he has become. So and and you could there's a list of guys you could throw out there that they've gotten in the draft that, you know, turned out to be good. Like there's there hasn't been a lot of draft picks that Presti has just completely whiffed on. Uh, in that front office, so I trust them. I trust their evaluations uh, in the draft. But again, I, I and I, again, I think that the draft, especially the NBA, is just such a crapshoot. 
because you just don't know how these dudes, these, especially because I think they're 19. So many of them are 19, maybe some are 20. Like you just don't know how they're going to like transition to being a professional basketball player. And it's, so it's hard to, you can evaluate the talent on the floor, but I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen once you, you know, make them millionaires and put them in the NBA. So there's a lot. I think I I firmly believe there's so much luck involved in the NBA draft and, and hitting on guys, but there is some skill to it, and I do trust the skill aspect from Oklahoma City's scouting department in yeah. the front office. So it does uh, sound there, like moving into the top four is pretty expected from OKC. I mean, there are there are a ton of NBA people right now that just say Toronto it, would like to move down. If you're only talking about two spots and the Thunder being able to to jump up. Uh, I think you go for it. Um, again, you made the point. There are four guys that I think are on a separate tier than everybody else in this draft, and that's not to say that the second and third tier of players in this draft isn't any good because I, I do think this is a deep draft. I do think there are a lot of talented players, but you know when you start talking about those building blocks at the top of the draft versus the tier two guys, um, I to me it's a no-brainer. If you can move to number four and take whatever player is still there between I think it's it's either going to be Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs and I think the the anticipation is it's going to be Suggs because the Cavs are going to take Mobley at three yeah um I you know I I'm a I love Jalen Suggs I the first time I saw him play at Gonzaga I was just like holy cow this dude is a terrific basketball player and and he's completely different than Cade um you know he's more of a, a traditional point guard than Cade, who's big, kind of the though. yeah yeah no he's like six four he was he was a football player like he's yeah. he, I, he is I think his upside is through the roof and again he's one of those guys that isn't just that score first point guard that we see basically in all of basketball today he's he's like your more your traditional point guard where he's uh, really diverse in his game. Um, now, I don't think he has the same sort of upside that Cade Cunningham does. I think if if you hit on Cade, that means you're you know you're hitting on on maybe a future MVP. But I, I see Jalen Suggs as I don't want to say Chris Paul because Chris Paul is one of the greatest to ever. Do it, but in terms of his style, I think it's a style like a Chris Paul where he can, he can shoot, like he can score. But he can also make the players around him better. He can pass. Like he, he gives you a little bit of everything. The the NBA draft net has the most unique uh, player comparison for Jalen Suggs. I I don't I might have ever seen. They they have him as a combination of two guys on their comp, Jason Kidd and De'Aaron Fox. Oh wow! Okay. I mean, I mean, if could you imagine if Jason Kidd was as fast as De'Aaron Fox? Yes. He'd be the best player ever. That's hilarious. But but th- that's a valid point, though, because both of those guys are more of your traditional point guards. Point guards, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Cade's... Like, I mean, if you look at Cade's comp on DraftNet, I mean, he's, it's Jason Tatum and Luka. Like, those are not... Right. I mean, but that's the future of the NBA, too. Yeah. It's 6'8", ball-dominant, like, do-everything-on-the-floor yeah. guys. And I guess maybe LeBron started that mold. If Jason like, Tatum was the the Celtics point guard, then I, I like that that would be that would exactly be the comp. Right. Yeah, I mean it's But yeah, he plays I, that look, like Luca LeBron role where he's like the point forward. I there's a scenario, there's no scenario. Well, I mean, I guess there's got to be some scenarios, but 
there's no realistic scenario tomorrow night where I look at it and I say Oklahoma City did the wrong thing. Whether they stay at six, whether they move to four, or whether they move up to one. Like, I, I don't see any of those scenarios and at the end of the night say, wow, I cannot believe they did that. How stupid was that? I think that, again, I, and I've said it before, I think that moving up to one and giving up Shea and all that stuff is the dumbest out of those three scenarios. But I do think, I wouldn't say that it was stupid because you're going to get Cade. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm not saying that getting Cade is the dumb move. I'm just thinking that giving up Shea right now is yeah. the dumb move. No, I get that. If they're not able to put a trade together, and again, like, it's not because they're not trying. It just means that, you know, the other no, team no, didn't want to. Yeah, nobody wanted to bite on what you're offering. Um, who are the players that you like at six? I, I know uh, Book Knight from UConn has been widely talked about as as maybe the, the guy the Thunder would prefer. I've seen uh, Scotty Barnes mention quite a bit as a potential option at number six. Those are the two guys that I think I most frequently see attached to the Thunder if they stay put. Uh, your thoughts on that pick and, and the options there? Um, I think that if, if we were talking about a scenario where the Thunder were a few pieces away from being a good team, I would go with Book Knight. I think that he is... I, I think he's closer to his ceiling right now coming into this draft. He's a great scorer. Um, I, I, I can't remember exactly what I heard, but I think I had read that like he scored the most points per game at UConn since Kimba. Um, so you know that he, he can score and like he can get super hot, but I would probably go with Kaminga because I think Kaminga just has more upside. I think that you could push that ceiling higher with him. It's going to take more time. Like He's not going to come in next year and yeah. – theoretically have as much of an impact on a night to night as, as book night would. But I think that his ceiling's just higher. And like you said, I mean, there, you need to try and get guys that could be, you know, difference makers for this organization. And I think Kaminga is a better chance to be a difference maker for this team contending in five years than book night would. So I, I would probably lean Kaminga. Um, I like the moody kid out of Arkansas, but I, I, I think Kaminga. I don't think there's yeah. any reason that Kaminga wouldn't be there unless Orlando took him at five. But it, it, to me, I feel like if you take Kaminga in that spot, you are saying Shea is the guy we want to build around. Which I'm perfectly fine with. I, I, I am in the camp of building around Shea yeah. if you can. Yeah, which again, right. I, I don't think is a bad move, but. Like I, I, you know, we've talked about this. There, there are so many examples of players that are not ball dominant that become becoming good players that aren't necessarily like high draft picks. I think if you are looking for somebody at number six, and it's a Scotty Barnes that can play on the ball, it's a Book Knight that can play on the ball. To 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 pass on those options for a guy that's not to me, says you feel like you already have that piece. Because I think you have to have... I mean, this is like the quarterback position in football. I think you need the the piece that's going to be on the ball first before you start adding the secondary pieces. Yeah, and I guess that, too, like it really depends on where they feel like they're at with the development of guys like Darius Baisley and Poku because they kind of have... I mean, Poku's the has the height of playing like a, a five-ish yeah. role, but he's got the weight of a, you know, a sixth-grade point guard. So I don't know. 
I don't I don't know really why how you position him on the floor, you know, in the future. But yeah, I mean, because Kaminga is going to kind of play the same. He's very similar to Darius Baisley, at least in his build. Yeah, uh, and like kind of where he's at is like a being a project, but. I think that you can take on projects. If you could get an all-star project, I think you do it because, like we said, I mean, they're not close. Um, they, I think I would take high-potential guys right now, now like high-ceiling guys, even if I have to wait a few years. Like, I'll yeah. wait a few years if they if their ceiling is, I feel, the highest in, in that available spot. So, not, I mean, if they take Booknight, I think he's a good player. Like, he, they could always, I mean, every team could use more scoring. So, yeah. if the dude goes in there and, starts hitting shots on a night-to-night basis or, you know, turns into, like, a really good six-man off the bench, then, you know, that that's still a great asset to have. But those aren't necessarily outside of, like, Manu. But Manu, you know, we all know that that was just some kind of yeah whatever. Book Knight, uh, to could, me, looks like the starting. most polished, like, at this present moment, the most polished scorer available. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, I it's hard to argue with that. I think that... Uh, I like Jared Butler too. I mean, we're just talking like night one of the NBA this season of being like guys that are ready. Yeah. Jared Butler's up there with me. Book night too. I agree. Davion Mitchell. Uh, Davion Mitchell. Yeah. Like so, I'm, I'm I mean, convinced Davion Mitchell is going to play ten years in the NBA. Like it may not be in a starring three, role, but the guy's going to play guy, for a yeah. decade. Well, yeah, he's already night one. He's going to walk in and be one of the probably twenty best three and D players in the league. Twenty five. Like he's gonna be an he's got the perfect skill set to play in the NBA right now. Yeah. So yeah, I 100% agree, and he's kind of a psycho from what I've heard uh, on the floor. So yeah. yeah. But Jared Butler, I mean, I mean they've got 16 and 18 right now. So yeah, Jared, Jared Butler's. Butler's I, I think in, in most mock drafts I've seen, uh, he's going well after 16 and 18. So yeah, uh, that's a guy that also I think is I, I'm not saying star potential, but. I, I loved him at Baylor. I thought he was a terrific player. And again, I think he's just a guy that will have a long NBA career because he can help you in a lot of ways. Like there's, right. it, it doesn't necessarily, he doesn't necessarily like blow you away. Like he doesn't just dunk on people or hit every shot from the outside, but he's just, he's good across the board. Look, um, some guys are Chris Paul. Well, a few guys yeah. are Chris Paul, but a lot of guys are just Jared Jacks and like every yeah. team can use a Jared Jack. Absolutely. Um, the one guy that I, I really like, I think has massive upside, is uh, Jalen Johnson from Duke. And he seems to be, I've seen him drafted in the top 10. I've seen him in mock drafts all the way down at like 20. It, it kind of, and everything in between. Uh, I don't know that I would say I feel like he will be available for the Thunder second pick if they if they make that pick. But man, if you could move up and take that guy, I think the potential for what he is. Like when you think of those like six, eight Duke small forwards, like uh, Brandon Ingram, um, uh, J- uh, Jason Tatum, like Jalen Johnson is in that same kind of mold. Zaire Williams do anything for you? I, I like him. I mean, uh, you know, if you're holding on to those picks at 16 and 18, I think that's one of the options. Well, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I, this, I, NBA DraftNet has uh, has him going 18 to that to Oklahoma City pick. So, um, and he's a guy that I was familiar with, though. I mean, yeah. I, I, maybe it's a high school thing that I was familiar with Zaire Williams, but yeah, coming out of Sierra Canyon, which I believe was the same high school that uh, 
that the Ball brothers or maybe LeBron's kids play at. I I don't know, but yeah, I, I think they always gets, link Sam Presti to like smart players too. Like Sam Presti right. loves smart guys, and so he because yeah. he's a Stanford guy, like it's just a natural fit. Yeah, and look, it's sixteen and eighteen. Like that's a total crapshoot there. Like like we said, I mean, like I said earlier, you can you can hit there. It's less likely than hitting on like four, but. I mean, you can you can hit there, but it's just I mean yeah. it's a total crapshoot. Like you have no idea what you're going to get out of those guys at 16 and 18. At least from my perspective, like I just you don't know. Yeah, yeah. The the I, you mentioned the the Moody name earlier again. I don't think he falls that far. Uh, but it, you know if you're talking about 16 and 18 and potentially throwing something else in to move into the back half of the lottery again for a second pick, like I. I for them to take, you know, Moody or Jalen Johnson or somebody like that, I think would be huge. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe they could work something out with Golden State. I think. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Golden State does not have the seventh pick by tomorrow uh, night. But I mean, maybe Golden State. I mean, they're really the only team in the lottery that I could see willing to move out of the lottery. So, like you said, maybe you use those sixteen and eighteen picks and you move up in the lottery. Maybe move to seven, and uh, you know. How maybe you end up getting book night and Kaminga? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you can, uh, and and part of it depends on you know who slips because every year there's a guy that unexpectedly is still available at like ten, and then he's still available at eleven, then he's still available at twelve, and you know you always you always are that fan like seeing this name fall and you're crossing your fingers like maybe he'll fall far enough where the Thunder can take him. I remember Devin Booker being one of those guys. I was like, man, if Oklahoma City could get him, I can't believe he's there, uh, and and it didn't work out. But the Thunder have the arsenal, and once again, we've said this a million times, you can't use all those picks for a roster. You don't have that many roster spots, so you like the point 14 of spots. Yeah, the point of having all these picks is for currency. So if there is a guy that is available, some you got to move up and make picks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean there. Like we just said, there's 14 spots on the roster. They've got about 48 picks in the next six years. <laughs> yeah. Like they're not going to use all of them. They can't. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention they have what two second round picks as well. Yeah, like right so at got, the top. Yeah, they've got five picks in the first 36 picks tomorrow. Yeah, I mean that's ha- that's a third of your roster. You can't keep all those guys. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, with, with the, the current team, but. you probably could. But well, yeah, you you're, you're like a year or two away from not being able to use those picks because you have too many, too many guaranteed contracts. Right. So, I, I I'm really curious at the top of the second round if they go like established player. I mean, a, a name that I've seen going at the end of the first, early second. You mentioned already Jared Butler. Like, do you go a Jared Butler type? Well, if he's there in the second round, absolutely. well, for sure. I, I just mean like I'm giving an example of like a veteran college player that's that's a little bit more established at that point? Or do you use those as like lottery tickets and, you know, go for the home run, like international player that's only 18 years old and and probably has to like stash for a couple years type scenario? Maybe. I mean, you've got so many picks that a draft, uh, you know, a a draft and stash probably wouldn't be the worst thing to do there. Uh, The mock draft I'm looking at has them taking JT Thor, uh, with a 36 pick, which is their last pick out of Auburn. And I don't know anything about the kid, but he's from Anchorage, Alaska, and his name is JT Thor. So Thor. sign me up for uh, the God of Thunder. I was about to, to say, Oklahoma Thor City. going to the Thunder pretty much seems like the perfect oh, pick. 
Yeah, markets itself. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Presti guys, that's that's like the no brainer. Like when there's when there's a big white center, like we automatically mock draft him to the Pacers. Well, yeah, because he's got to be the next Rick Smith. So like having the name Thor, you're just like, okay, where are the Thunder? I'm just going to pencil this in for OKC. It's, it's like he was born to play basketball for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. What do you think about Corey Kispert? The uh, Gonzaga. Give me a give me a give me a mind uh, reminder. Gonzaga shooter. Oh, the, oh. Uh, he's the best shooter in the draft, right? Or am I getting him mixed I, up? I, I mean, I, I think you can make that case. Senior, yeah, upper class, that's right. He was senior. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, if he can be, you know, like a Joe Harris type player or like a JJ Redick type player. Right. In today's NBA, if you've got them there in the middle of the draft in the first round, I think you absolutely can take a take a gamble on him. I mean, he, he's a he was a senior, but like, I mean, what is he like? The, he's still 22, 21, 22 ish. Yeah. So like, he's still. I mean, that's the thing though. Like in the NBA, we've gotten to a point where like drafting a twenty-two year old like kind of like makes you uncomfortable because you're like he's so old. Yeah. We're only gonna get thirteen years out of him. Well, if you're drafting a 22-year-old, it, it it's like it can't be a project, right? You have to kind of feel like you've seen pretty close to like what you're getting. And getting a guy that shot 44% from three last yeah. year, I would say that's exactly what you would want out of getting a guy that's 22 years old. You want a guy that could go in there and I don't know what his defense is like, but if you could if you get a guy that's a knockdown three-point shooter in today's NBA, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he could be a starter. I mean, J.J. Redick and Kyle Korver and Joe Harris, like those are guys that are, well, Kyle Korver was and J.J. Redick was, but those are guys that are important key pieces in your starting rotation because you need to have that guy that can hit a knockdown shot when, you know, the star player is getting double teamed. So yeah. anytime you could get a guy that can shoot, I mean, six seven, I'm like, he's a big dude. So like, yeah, hundred percent. I, I wouldn't mind taking if he's there at 16 or 18. Yeah. The Thunder have always needed shooting. Yeah. Um, Ayo, Ayo DeSumo out of Illinois is also a guy that I think uh, potentially available for the Thunder with those. I, I don't know. I think he's gone probably by, before the second round starts. But again, there are always these guys that we don't think will slip. If he's a guy that's available, I think that would be a terrific option for OKC at the top of the second round. Uh, Miles McBride as well from West Virginia. He's, you know, I mentioned Davion Mitchell. Miles McBride's kind of in this same uh, area of like, I think he he's going to play in the NBA for a long time just because the skill set is like perfect for a backup point guard. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think has there been has there been a West Virginia player that has translated to the NBA? Um, what's the uh, the previous point guard that's in the in Memphis? Oh, Javon Carter. Javon Carter, yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, I, he's a decent role player, I think, for, for Memphis. He was, I know he's in, is he in Phoenix or Memphis now? I think he's in Phoenix. Oh, now, is he in right? Phoenix now? Wow. That should tell you how things are going for Javon Carter. He, he is in Phoenix. You're correct. Cameron Payne took all his playing time. For, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I guess he's still in the NBA, so like, you can't knock that. I mean, 
Well, he was, was the perfect player for the Memphis Grizzlies. He was the grit and grit. He was well, I guess the old grit and grind like yeah. thing. But yeah, definitely a grit and grind player. Oh, he's been Did in Phoenix for two years. I missed the boat on that. Was he in the Josh Jackson trade? I guess so. Speaking of bust, is that dude even in the NBA oh, anymore? I think he's in Minnesota, maybe. Detroit. Oh, okay. So, well, I mean, yeah. again, he's already played for... He's on Where his basketball fourth. careers go to die. Yeah. God, I remember watching that dude in Norm- I'm, I, that I watched that dude... It, come to Norman and like I was shooting the game. So I'm on the floor and this dude just is just jumping out of a building. And I'm like, Oh my God, yeah. this guy is a freak. And, but it turns out that he was, that's all he was. And didn't really, you know, obviously have much of a game. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I mean, again, my, I don't, I, there's not really anybody at the end of the draft round, first round with those 16 to 18 picks that I like, I hate because there's just not a lot of guys in my opinion that, stand out as being like superstar players. And there's nobody that stands out yeah. as being like, they shouldn't be there. They're all very closely grouped together. In my opinion, like you're talking about the, it's just a, it's a preference thing. Like, what are you looking for in a, that spot from like, do you need a shooter? Do you need a defender? Do you need a, you know, a rebounder? Like you're, you're kind of just picking out like very specific things that you need. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Round. And depending what you take early in this draft, um, Probably we'll goes a long way yeah. to figuring out what you're taking late. Um, 100%. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think it's going to be fun. I don't believe the Thunder will be selecting at six. I think that uh, at minimum, they're moving up to four. Um, here's the million-dollar question. What's the reaction if the Thunder trade with Toronto to four and take Book Knight there? I think that would be completely stupid. That would be a scenario where I would look at it and say, that is stupid. Why would you do that? Yeah. Uh, because I, it, look, there's again, it's all rumors, but there's just, there's so many rumors about them really liking book night, which just stay put. Uh, I think, you know, if that's your so, guy, uh, so be it. But if you're moving into the top four and one of the, and Suggs is there, and you're taking book night, I think uh, the entire fan base might uh, lose their minds. Oh, I, I don't blame them. I mean, Orlando has Markel Fultz, and uh, I think they, they just took another guard last year, Cole Anthony. There's no reason oh, right. that Orlando would take James Booknight there. So why the hell would you trade out of the six spot? He's not going to be gone before six. So that would be, you know what? You presented a scenario where I would leave the draft tomorrow night and say they complete, they screwed this entire thing up. Yeah. Orlando to me is taking either Scotty Barnes or um, I, could see, I could see them. T- well, is, I mean, what's the difference between like a guy of coming and a guy like Jonathan? Well, Isaac? I was about to say, or they're going to take Jonathan Isaac 2.0 Kaminga. Right. I mean, they're not. I mean, Orlando's just gonna be bad forever. So, what is the Kaminga comp? Because I was gonna say earlier, I thought it might be Jonathan Isaac. Uh, Draftnet has his comp as Jalen Brown. Which, if what? he turns out to be Jalen Brown, then yeah. I mean, hmm. that's a that's a home run pick if you could get a Jalen Brown. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
build wise, I mean, he's definitely Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. Well, and and just from this from the point of like like obviously he's not going to be asked to play the same position or the same role, but I just mean like build wise, extremely raw. Um, really needs to like develop just the basketball skills. Yeah. Same I thing as Jonathan. Yeah. I, it just kind of feels like he's just pure athleticism. Yeah, I could. I, I, I'm with you on that one. I, the Jalen Brown, that's a little, I mean, I he's Jalen Brown's one of the 20 best players in the league. 15, maybe yeah. when he's healthy. So I, I don't that see that at all. A little heavy for me. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you just watch video of both of them. I don't even think they, they play the same style. Jalen Brown plays, he plays like an all-star. He's, he's, you know, he plays like he's the best player on the floor. When he, <laughs> you know, you can, yeah. But, I don't know. Uh, oh, real quick. I know we, I know we got to get out of here soon. Uh, I'm sure you talked about this ad nauseum over the past week, but, uh, please, are, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, pre, I'm not gonna bait you into it, but, are you in favor of, of the SEC move? I, you've got to be right. Oh, of Please course. Don't. Okay, of course. thank God. Yeah. I didn't want you to be one of the people that thought that it was bad for the state of Oklahoma, for Oklahoma to go to the SEC. I mean, who thinks that? Uh, the president of Oklahoma State. Oh, uh, well, I mean, take that for what it's worth. Well, why? Of course she's going to say that. Like, I, I don't know. I, you don't have to say that. You don't have to, if you're Oklahoma State, why do you have to be so tied to Oklahoma? I get why you I get that you feel like you need to, but like I actually think this is better for Oklahoma State to get out from underneath Oklahoma's shadow, to be honest with you. I yeah. Look, you want to quit being the little brother, then you know, go be your own thing. Man, yeah. go be your own person. Like I said this last week, if I'm Oklahoma State, I I mean the first option I think is join the Big Ten simply because I think if you're looking long term there are two conferences that are never going away. The SEC, the SEC, number one, and the Big Ten, number two. So if you join the Big Ten, I think it's just you, you have secured your future. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Pac-12, if you're able to take either one or the remaining Texas schools to the Pac-12, like that's a great fit. Yeah, You, might, you, you could potentially win the league. Like out of the game. As is now, yeah. I mean, you're competing with what, like Oregon and yeah. maybe Washington on some years. Yeah. But if if I'm Oklahoma State and that's the scenario, either way, I'm not scheduling Oklahoma. Like, why why would you schedule Oklahoma? Because look, I if you want to say ticket sales, if you're joining a new conference, I don't think that's going to be a big issue because there's going to be a lot of new blood coming to Stillwater, which I think is going to be exciting for the fan base anyway. And look. It, the Big Twelve right now is in a better in a better place than the Pac twelve, but the Pac twelve has bigger has bigger names for sure throughout the conference. For so sure. like, yeah. The casual fan is gonna see USC coming to Stillwater. Yes. They're gonna be way more excited about that than West Virginia coming to Stillwater. One thousand percent. Even if West Virginia pro- might be a better team over the past five years. Yeah. Trying to keep the remaining teams together, I think, is the worst possible outcome. Oh, that would be so stupid. They they would be yeah. There's they'd be worse than the American athletic. You're not conference. a power five conference anymore. No. Like and that's, I think Oklahoma State's going to be fine. I don't think that they're going to be in danger of of being left out of a major conference. Like I, they're going to be fine. But I'm also not going to act like Oklahoma State is this major attraction 
for college football that can can be the flag bearer I mean, for a major conference. That no. Oklahoma State's the best remaining school in this league, but Oklahoma State is not going to be the team that you're like, oh, hey, it's the Big 12 in Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, realistically, Oklahoma State's what, like, in the 30 to 45 range as far as, like, programs go? I mean, with with all the success they've had over the last 10 years, um, yeah, I would say probably, like, around the 25 to 35 range. Yeah. They're a good program, but they're not someone. They're not a program that a conference can like really, you know, hang its hat on or like I don't know what the metaphor I'm looking for. But they're not. They're not a program that can carry a conference like an OU or right. uh, a Michigan or Ohio State or even a USC out in the Pac-12, which is a big part why the Pac-12 has been so down in every aspect because USC has been so bad for the past decade. Yeah. But it's still USC, and and look, I mean, if you're if you're talking about your conference being as good as you know the the premier programs, USC, Washington, Oregon, I mean, all three of those programs, I think, are pretty considerably more prestigious than Oklahoma State is right now. I would say, yeah, I would Oregon and USC for sure, and I think Washington is probably in that same like tier. Same range as Oklahoma State, yeah. But they're the third team, not the one team. Right. Yeah, I mean, imagine, yeah, it would be the same thing if if USC and Oregon decide to leave the Pac-12 and you're building the league around Washington. Washington, yeah. Yeah, that's not going to work. They're a nice asset to have, but they're not the piece. All I I know is I hope they find some legality loophole, legal loopholes, and I don't have to wait until 2025 to, you know, Get ready for Alabama to come to Norman. There is zero chance that this stretches to 2025. And I never deal in absolutes, but there is zero chance this this goes to 2025. I'm for it, man. I'm uh I know there's some people that are a little caught up in the Big Twelve, which whatever. Oh, it's but stupid. The idea of ever I mean, it's not gonna be every year because there's gonna be so many teams that like you may not see a team in your like at your stadium for like twelve years. Yeah. But just, yeah, just knowing every year that you're going to get like an LSU, Auburn, Alabama, a Florida, like in Norman. Yes. Like, yeah, sign me up for that. Like that's – there's no aspect I, I look at this and I say it's it's bad business. Right. Because it's just good business all around. Well, and, I, you know, I threw this out last week, but imagine like one Saturday it's Alabama in Norman and USC in Stillwater. Imagine yeah. – even if it's not those two teams, imagine it's like – Oregon and LSU. Yeah. Auburn in 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 Norman and Washington in Stillwater. And you're also talking about potentially both teams having a game for first play, the, the lead in the conference, but they're not impacted by the other's game. Like, I, I think just having the separate entities, to me, would be awesome. Yeah. Hell, I mean, yeah. I mean, 100%. So, um... I, it's funny, I've had a bunch of people, especially Oklahoma State fans, that feel very offended by my comments about how crappy the Big 12 is going to be without Oklahoma and Texas. And I'm like, it's not a shot at you. It's not a shot at Oklahoma State. It's a shot at... There's nobody else. There's nobody Maybe else. The, the perception of the league... People act like perception doesn't matter. It's, a, it's extremely important in college football. Like, it doesn't matter in the NFL. But it's extremely important in college football. 
and nobody is going to give a damn about a league where Oklahoma State's the best team. Like, here's the, here's the best example, which will tie this entire podcast together. We all agree that Lou Dort is a terrific player, and you love to have Lou Dort on your team. But you don't see the Oklahoma City Thunder saying Lou Dort is the main piece that we're building around. He's our star player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's 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 my comparison. Yeah, and the problem is, you look at the rest of the remaining. What would be left of the Big Twelve? And they're they're not even Lou Dortz. They're like uh, freaking Anthony Moros. And hell, you have Kansas. I Kansas is like uh, I don't even the worst player in the G League. Yeah, they're not even an NBA player. I, I think Kansas is going to be the first one to jump, honestly. They I mean, were, the last be... time this happened, there were there was a lot of speculation that Kansas was going to be the team that was left out. I And I think that with all this, go, they don't want to be that team. I, I think that they are like, yep, we're taking, Big Ten, sure, let's do it. I'm in. I mean, their basketball program's enticing, but their football, is, their football program has a lot of, uh, black eyes on it and they're terrible yeah. would you take i don't know if i would necessarily jump the gun on them i i think iowa state not in the big 10 iowa state and oklahoma state like i'm trying to i'm getting pretty aggressive on bringing them in yeah well look the big 10 has rutgers you need a you need a beating stick for the other division so let's give fair. them kansas there you go all right and you add basketball as well so works somebody's got to lose Somebody's got to be the worst team, and then we can we can start having that conversation. Like the Big Ten's not good because they have uh, the two worst teams in the league. Kansas, yeah, Kansas and Rutgers. Well, yeah. they've got Ohio State, but I mean, look at Kansas. Look at they're, their bottom teams. Kansas went zero and twelve this year. Yeah, but what have their worst teams done, Aaron? Don't make the argument for their best teams. Make the argument for their worst teams. Crazy. I'm excited though. I'm uh, I'm ready for SEC football in Oklahoma. Absolutely. I just I want to see just new matchups, right? For sure. Like I look. No offense to the Big Twelve, but I'm sick and tired of watching Oklahoma play TCU. <laughs> and that's not even been going on that long, right? It's just there's not a lot of other teams in the Big Twelve that are just exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 100% in for, you know, oh. Oklahoma Auburn, Oklahoma Arkansas, Oklahoma Ole Miss, Oklahoma I'm, Tennessee, Oklahoma Georgia. I'm sweating right now thinking about go driving to Baton Rouge for an OU LSU game. Yeah, are you going to go? Look, L- night game in Death Valley, the real Death Valley. Up on my bucket list of sporting yeah. events. So yes, if I had an excuse to go to Baton Rouge to watch Oklahoma and LSU play, a hundred percent, I'm I'm trekking to the swamps of uh, Louisiana. It would be worth it just to experience the tailgate, even if you couldn't get into the game, but just to experience the tailgate scenario for that game. There's, I mean, I mean, there's so many SEC teams that are just bucket list like yeah. games that like yeah. just like you said, the matchups are just going to be so fun. As I mean, long as uh, as long as I don't hear in Norman like you know it's the fourth quarter and they're beating somebody in a non conference game and and ninety thousand people start chanting SEC then then it's no all way. good. There's but, no way that's gonna happen. 
there's no uh, maybe in 15 years Ugh. but no way no way that current fans are going to s- look it's going to no happen way. Aaron it's going to happen oh my God. I don't know why you would ever it, do that like nobody it, e- even when the Big 12 was the best conference nobody was standing in the stadium chanting Big 12 I don't know why that's a thing but I'm just telling you the sooner fans are going to do that it's going to happen I, at some point I had this conversation with Rosie the other day about this and she asked why, like what's the difference between like fan SEC fans and like other fan, other fans. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like there, I guess they're just, they live in areas where there's nothing to do other than be obsessed with college football. Yeah. Like you don't hear big 10 fans or PAC 12 fans literally killing somebody else because they were, they were not upset enough. Yeah about their team losing that night. Like, but that happens in the SEC. Like, these people are crazy, and they're going to travel, and it's just going to be good for everybody. Like, yeah. I remember when Tennessee came to Norman. Tennessee sucked, but there were a lot of volunteer fans in Norman that weekend. So imagine what it's going to be like if there's Alabama or LSU. Like, it, it's going to be great every way around. So yeah, 100%. just watch out. They might shoot you if you don't get upset about something. And, uh, and we get to experience all the A&M tears. Oh God, I'm all for it. I'm all for A&M becoming the 10th best team in the SEC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's been a lot of jokes about the remaining Big 12 teams being the big losers and all this, but the biggest loser over the last, what has it been now, eight days, is clearly Texas A&M. Tech, well, how about the last 80 years? The biggest loser over the last 80, 80 years is Texas A&M. Well, you know what? I, I don't think that there is a more accurate statement to end this podcast than that one. Gig him. All right. He is Aaron Davis. I am Colby Daniels. Once again, NBA draft Thursday night. It is draft night at Chalk and Chisholm Creek. So come out, watch the draft. It's going to be a great time and uh, hope to see you guys there. And we will talk to you next time. Podcast is over.